Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House program on Faith Radio regarding a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Leading off this edition of the podcast, it's Mark Steinert of Upward Sports emphasizing the importance of physical exercise and challenging parents to initiate family exercise during this time of isolation. Then, during these trying times, we can be challenged to grow spiritually, and Kenny Locke of Everyman Ministries has been a leading voice in calling Christian men to follow God more wholeheartedly. He is online every Thursday morning reinforcing that message. Find out more ahead. And from the American Pastors Network, Sam Rohr discusses biblical foundations of good government, an important topic when government officials have responsibility to consider public health as well as constitutional principles. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, there's been great concern over abortion continuing to be available during this time of coronavirus. States that have banned elective surgeries are being taken to court to allow abortion. Clinics are taking life and using equipment that can be used to protect lives elsewhere. Tara Sander Lee of the Charlotte Lozier Institute, a division of the Susan B. Anthony List, comments on the continued pursuit of abortion during the COVID-19 crisis. And less than a year ago, Steve Harriman said goodbye to his late wife, Char, who had been struggling health-wise with brain cancer, but was devoted to reaching others with the love of Christ. You'll learn from her husband how she used the time on earth God had given to her to glorify him by loving people. Finally, Amanda Hope Haley has training in archaeology and has released a book that explores how to respond when one's own traditional beliefs contradict the truth of the Bible and how to experience God's Word more fully. Some conversation highlights coming up. Well, this is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. The Partner Experience Director at Upward Sports, Mark Steinert, shared insight with me recently on how families can take part in exercise and other activities during the time of isolation during the COVID-19 crisis. From that conversation, here now is Mark Steinert. I think it's, uh, it's really just a matter of you know, bringing the family together and talking through, um, you know, what are some things that we can commit to together as a family and, you know, work through over the the next few weeks, you know, until uh, things potentially begin to change, but even then ongoing, um, you know, into the future as well. Because, uh, you know, even though uh, gyms may be closed right now and those kind of things, there's things like simple resistance training that, that can be done at home to help folks stay fit. Um, but the key is just making it part of our everyday schedule and building uh, consistency into that and kind of maybe starting small and then, you know, working your way up, you know, X number of push-ups and sit-ups or maybe go for a, a short morning run or, or a walk and kind of build up strength and conditioning, uh, you know, over time. And uh, just uh, working together, you know, as a family to kind of schedule it and, uh, you know, work it around what makes sense for a particular family's uh, schedule and, uh, you know, what works for them. Um, that's the good thing is that, you know, it doesn't have, there's no uh, one set way of doing something. You know, there's creativity and flexibility and certainly doing something is, is better than doing nothing. And, uh, you know, uh, walking, biking, running, hiking, all of those things, um, you know, can really add some value to our lives. This is just a great opportunity to take advantage of the time to um, really enhance some of your the skills and, and uh, 
you know, to uh, to learn and to grow and develop, um, you know, as a player, um, whether it's basketball and, you know, spending some time uh, enhancing your dribbling skills or passing skills, um, you know, defense, um, defensive drills can also be done in the driveway and those kind of things. Um, soccer drills are very easy to continue in your own backyard. It really takes less equipment. Um, so, you know, it's, it, there's really a lot of opportunity just to, uh, you know, use this as kind of a, a time of uh, preparing for what's to come around the corner because we're all hoping and believing and looking for that day when uh, we can all step back into engaging with sports, um, you know, maybe at a more um, organized level. And, uh, you know, until that point, we can use this time to, uh, um, you know, prepare for that day. So I would definitely, you know, encourage uh, families to get involved and for uh, participants and parents, uh, you know, get together and uh, make this an opportunity that can truly uh, ultimately be something uh, positive for for the whole family uh, in the days to come. When you think about the blend of technology and physical exercise, of course, I would imagine right now, and some people have already implemented this, I would imagine that they are using these these various tools in order to help their physical exercise workout routines that people might find online. Another way that, as you point out, that people can use technology is to continue team meetings via some of these technological tools tools so if you would comment on that sure yeah i think anything that we can do to stay connected to those people that are important in our lives you know is certainly a valuable uh, exercise and something that we want to step into and fortunately with the technology available to us today um, you know players coaches families uh, can stay connected and uh, you know whether it's uh, these zoom meetings or you know, uh, whatever is uh, is the, the the most accessible or the right technology tool for an individual family or a community to uh, to use. Uh, certainly, so much is at our disposal, and uh, you know, this is the uh, this is a great time to just stay connected and to take advantage uh, of those opportunities for sure. Um, I think that uh, you know, relationship building. And uh, staying connected to individual teams, you know, there's there's a uh, something special about being a part of a team. And uh, as you learn and grow and go through the ups and downs of sports experiences together and and learn and grow, you know, you build that camaraderie and you build that uh, that level of connection. That uh, you know, it's a positive thing to continue, you know, into the future uh, in in any way that you, that you can. So, looking for those opportunities digitally during this. Uh, a unique time is is something that uh, we definitely encourage. Mark Steinert of Upward Sports here on the intersection. The organization's website is upward, U-P-W-A-R-D dot org. Next up on this edition of the Intersection podcast, it's the founder and president of Everyman Ministries, Kenny Luck, who shared with me about the Thursday morning live stream series entitled The Corona Chronicles, devoted to strengthening and inspiring men in the Lord during this coronavirus pandemic. Here now from that conversation is Kenny Luck. When I thought about the Corona Chronicles, I thought, boy, there's there's some quarantine letters in the New Testament. There was a guy <laughs> who was in quarantine. He was he was separated from people that he loved, and he said this. He said, "Whatever happens, um, 
let's conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether I see you or uh, I hear about you, that we are striving uh, together, uh, standing firm in the one spirit for faith in the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul said from, from his prison in Rome to the Philippians. And that was the theme verse that God gave me. So what I see happening right now is exactly what Paul says. He says, whatever happens. So that means that there's a crazy situation going on. He said, the body of Christ is called to conduct itself in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? It means that we're going to stand firm in the spirit. We're going to strive together as one for faith in the gospel. So there is a, a catalytic impact that unplanned circumstances have both mm. on the body of Christ and on the unbeliever. And, and, and both the unbeliever and the body of Christ see these things happening. So even as Paul alludes to in that, in that verse where you see the craziness, whatever happens, creating a new togetherness, people are coming together, people are open, people are longing for connection, and then you see a new faithfulness. And Joel's study uh, in the body of Christ, unbelievers seeking, we're striving together for faith, and then the object for both Christian and non-Christian is to come back to the heart of what the meaning of life is, which is the gospel. And so these circumstances, people are realizing, they, they, they possess their body, but it doesn't have to possess them. It defines their environment. It doesn't have to define them. Uh, it may affect temporal, temporary things, but not eternal things. And so our plans might stop, but God's, plan, God's plans don't stop. And so you see this, this shift. Because anytime you have a circumstance that is uncontrollable, it makes people vulnerable, and it, it brings them back to not false sources of meaning and what they used to plant their feet on, uh, like their, their portfolio or their title and all the things that, that do not work in the midst of a circumstance like this. And the ground is shifting, and they're looking for something solid, and that's when God's presence, God's purpose, God's person comes back into the picture and they're trying to get their arms around it. And they're like, oh my goodness, yes, God. And so we just see, I see a, a, a harvest of epic proportions happening. And every mm -hmm. one of our listeners who knows Jesus, they're a part uh, of that harvest. And this is the perfect, perfect circumstance to shine the light of Christ. What did God show you as far as topical material that he wanted you to concentrate on during this particular series? Yeah, um, a, a couple of things. Uh, one is is that, you know, the New Testament, there, there, there are books from quarantine, mm -hmm. and, there's sure. perspectives from, and there's perspectives from quarantine, you know, and that's the Apostle Paul, the book of Philippians. So God showed me that right away, and that Philippians one twenty seven verse just stood out like in, in highlighter. You know, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So, you know, it's, it's an acknowledgement of there is craziness, uh, but the, the call of the believer is to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And, and so that means that every believer can transcend, they can rise above. It's like that, that passage from Isaiah, which just says, you know, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they'll mount up with wings like eagles. The believer, in the midst of walking on earth, can transcend the circumstances 
of earth if their hope is in the Lord and enter a new dimension of living. Uh, it's like that eagle mounts up and it flies in a different dimension. Um, that's, that's God's plan for every believer. Kenny Locke here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website everymanministries.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, who offered a biblical worldview perspective on the role of government in the midst of a public health crisis, including potential constitutional concerns in dealing with the coronavirus. Here now from that conversation is Sam Rohr. In effect, the process by which we go through of considering what we should do as citizens, how we should teach as pastors, how we should respond as moms and dads and business owners in this time, the process by which we go through determining what we ought to do is almost as essential as the decision ultimately we come up with. And that's a critical thing. So when we approach this matter right now, we know from a biblical principle perspective that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the evil bear rule, the people mourn. Now, that's a biblical principle. Our founders believed it. Why does that make a difference? Well, it makes a difference because if the righteous are in authority, righteous meaning right with God, then their decisions relative to laws that govern the people and affect their God-given rights of life and liberty and private property, which is the pursuit of happiness, and the others, which then are uh, imbued and found within our Constitution, that if the righteous are in authority, any law or regulation will be first put before and say, does it measure up to God's moral law? What does God say, first of all, about this circumstance? And then it will then fall into the realm of then, how then should we make a law or regulation from a civil government authority perspective that then affects the lives of the citizens? And the reason that this is important is because all through Scripture, God has placed and established several very clear jurisdictions. That's a legal terminology. That's a jurisdiction of the individual. There are some things that the individual must decide for themselves. It is not government's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. And, and one of those is just, you know, how do we respond to, the, uh, to Scripture personally? They're families, mom and dad. God has created mom and dad to lay down the law in the home, raise the children, teach them in the ways of the Lord. It's the family's responsibility, but then the church has duties, and, and that is protect. Then there's civil government. One of our basic problems in America for a long time is we've not taught authority, Bob, from a biblical perspective. So government has gotten involved in the home, and the home's allowed it. Government sets the policy for how we teach our children. That's not biblical, and, it wasn't const- and it's not constitutional, but we're doing it. Um, the, the church, the, the several government has stepped into the role of the church, uh, providing for all of the needs of our people. That's not civil government's role. The civil government's role is to protect the ability of the church to meet those needs, not to usurp the role of the church in those areas. So we've, we've crossed the line on so many areas from what God said, from what our founders recognized, from what our founding preachers preached about, and from what our founding 
fathers actually took and put into the law of this land. And, and I would trust and hope, and we're hoping and praying, that in this moment we can encourage people to teach them how to go back to the fundamental truth, God's Word, find the principles, connect it to the principles of our governing civil law, which is our Constitution, and, and together we produce the policy. We have to do that, or this nation will not only fall apart from the standpoint of walking away fully from God's uh, law and therefore get God's judgment rather than his blessing, as he said in Deuteronomy 30, or this nation will devolve into chaos and rebellion, where the citizen rebels against the fundamental civil responsibility of, of government uh, and therefore produce a host of problems. We are in very critical times, and we are not going to go through this until we return and say, what does God say, what is his plan, and we're going to follow his plan and what he says, not what we feel is right or what, not we, what we think is right. The principles are all there. It's a matter of identifying and saying, this is where we're going to go first. God's moral law first, Constitution, civil law second, and marry them together, which they are really, in truth, married Mm. And that's how we go. That's how we should do it. Sam Rohr here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to MeetingHouseOnline.info or by visiting the programming section at FaithRadio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast can be found through the Media Center. You can also subscribe to it free through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Conversation material from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Again, the Meeting House homepage can be accessed through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tara Sander-Lee, Senior Fellow and Director of Life Sciences at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, a division of the Susan B. Anthony List. In our recent conversation, she discussed the continued availability of and promotion of abortion during the COVID-19 crisis, assisted by media outlets that communicate the pro-abortion agenda. From that conversation, this is Tara Sander-Lee. It's very unfortunate that the abortion industry just continues to show us and prove that they truly are never interested in pregnant women and the health of the baby, but are really only interested in the intentional destruction of innocent life. And this is an, this is an example of just exploiting a crisis. Um, I mean, you know, never let a, a serious crisis go to waste, as the famous saying is. And this is just another example that abortion is not health care and is definitely not an essential procedure. But as you mentioned, and as the New York Times article, um, a New York Times that was article that was published, you know, was 
was trying to argue for the expansion of dangerous abortion drugs via telemedicine and claiming and using their same tactics and arguments that abortion care absolutely is essential and needs to occur, needs to continue right now, and women have to have access um, to this to this uh, these surgical procedures, and if they can't, they absolutely need to have access to these chemical abortion drugs um, that are currently under regulation by the FDA, but they want to they want to lift some of these regulations to make it even more accessible. And so they're just they're trying to open the door and 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 reduce any regulations that are currently in place, putting more women at risk. And like you said, and at a time when people are dying and are legitimately concerned for their life and the life of their families, they are just um, the abortion industry is compounding one crisis with another by their continued push and expansion of their their procedures that kill the unborn. Well, you and Marjorie Dannenfelser, who leads the SBA list, the Susan B. Anthony list, Charlotte Lozier Institute, that is your organization uh, with which you're affiliated, is a division of the Susan B. Anthony list. So you and Marjorie have co-written an op-ed piece. It appeared at cnsnew.com, and it's a commentary titled, Is Media Disrepute Any Shock When Outlets Fixate on Abortion During Coronavirus? And you point out a number of these instances you mentioned, for instance, the New York Times and its editorial that was arguing to expand dangerous abortion drugs being dispensed via telemedicine. In fact, something that the two of you point out in this op-ed piece has to do with medical associations, pro-life OBGYNs representing more than 30,000 physicians calling for elective abortions to be suspended in order to conserve scarce resources. The New York Times calling the notion that abortion is non-essential, quote, obvious nonsense. So not only do we have the abortion industry that is attempting to use this crisis to expand more policies that hurt women, but they're being aided and abetted by the media. That's exactly true. And, um, you know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released their adult elective surgery and procedures recommendation. And what they what they released is that they wanted to limit non-essential adult elective surgeries and medical and surgical procedures to assist in the management of vital healthcare resources during this public health emergency. And while abortion is not explicitly mentioned um, in the tiered framework, the vast majority of abortions are either outpatient surgical procedures or drug induced, and they are elective procedures and they certainly and they are certainly not necessary to save a life, preserve an organ function, or avoid further harm. And so, um, so it's, that's exactly right. That you know, as we pointed out in our op-ed, that thirty thousand physicians have called for elective abortions to be suspended because they are not essential. We do not these these services do not need to continue. And and on top of that. We need all the PPE that we can get to actually take care of people that are really sick and need them, and actually not only those that have the coronavirus and need to be cared for, but those that actually are delivering 
that want to have their babies and deliver live, healthy babies, and they need that PPE as well and to protect those physicians against getting sick. And yet Planned Parenthood affiliates, in addition to pushing that, you know, saying that this is an essential healthcare service, which is completely not true, they also have been caught online begging for donations of PPE so they can continue to abort these babies. Tara Sander Lee here on The Intersection. The organization's website is Lozier, L-O-Z-I-E-R, Institute dot O-R-G. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Steve Harriman, author of Shar's Gift, a remarkable story of hope through the storms of life. In our conversation, he shared about his late wife, Shar, and her desire to reach out to other people with the love of Christ, even as she was struggling through multiple brain surgeries. Here now from that conversation is Steve Harriman. You mentioned that she'd had multiple brain surgeries, though. Yes, uh, the initial one went fine, and we went for, um, you know, we have many MRIs to check on it, and it, it never came back. And they said, once you get past seven years of clear MRIs, you're in the clear. Um, but that wasn't the case. It was 16 years later. And so we already had the ministry going and everything was going well. And then Char started to um, have symptoms. And she ended up having another seizure. We were actually traveling at the time. And we're walking to the car of a, uh, outside of a hotel um, to, to head home. And Char all of a sudden just looked up at the sky, and I thought, well, what are you looking at? And then I realized she was going into another seizure. So it was 16 years later. Um, and then uh, she ended up having a second. Uh, it had come back in the same area, so she had to have another brain surgery after all those years. And then the last several years, it just kept recurring and recurring and recurring to the point where uh, finally last May um, she had a pretty large uh, tumor come back and we ended up spending two months after that surgery in rehab. It had been the first time she ever had to do rehab. And so we spent uh, February and March of last year um, doing physical rehabilitation and occupational and speech therapies. So she really fought hard to, to get back. She had to learn to walk again. She had to learn to speak again. And so it was a a long journey for us, and we finally got home uh, just around a year ago and and continued, and she was doing really, really well. Um, And, you know, I had 24 years to prepare for (laughs) something uh, happening to Shire where she ended up going to heaven, and I just thought she was going to avoid, she was going to dodge this one more time and still bounce back, and finally over Memorial Day weekend, um, she had a series of devastating seizures that ended up uh, taking her to heaven. So hmm. it's been a long journey. I wanted to ask you, Steve, as you talk about Char, what we've learned so far is she, even though she was struggling with health issues, she had a love for people, and she really recognized that her struggle with cancer early on is something that really propelled her and enabled her to identify, apparently, with people that were in somewhat of the same position. You mentioned going to the cancer support groups. I I would say, don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but it sounds like she was a people person. She was. Um, <laughs> in fact, she became even more of a people person, uh, especially when it came to um, people's struggles. And she always wanted to, she always had a heart for people. And so all of a sudden, you know, she struggled for 
for years, right after the surgery, she wasn't sure what she was going to do. She had to quit her job, and she was struggling, like, Lord, what would you have me do? And then all of a sudden, we went to one brain tumor support group at the hospital, and you could see the light bulb just go off over her head. <laughs> and I can remember coming home after that. There were like seven people in that group. And on the way home, all Shar could talk about was those people and what she wanted to do for them. She wanted to give them cards. She wanted to make gift bags for them. And so that was kind of the beginning. You could see the purpose all of a sudden that God gave her. And it was amazing to watch. What is Shar's gift? That's a good question. Uh, I'll put it this way. You know, though Shar was given two years to live, she ended up living for 24, as we talked about. Um, she went through five major brain surgeries over the course of those 24 years. Through all of that, um, she stayed close to God. You know, she trusted in his word and in his promises, and so did I. Um, she did it with her whole heart, no matter what she was going through. And so God, the way I look at it, God gave Shar the gift of time. And she used that time to be a gift to others. And so, you know, she embraced what I think is the key to having hope and a joy-filled life, which is in the words of Jesus in Acts 20:35. it is more blessed to give than to receive. And my hope uh, in sharing Shar's remarkable story is that readers will be able to find that same hope that she found even through the fiercest storms or in life's hardest times. Steve Harriman here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. The website address is shars, C-H-A-R-S, gift.com. Well, finally, here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Amanda Hope Haley. She has a background in archaeology, and in our conversation, she discussed the importance of submitting to the authority of Scripture over personal traditional beliefs, a concept related to her book, Mary Magdalene Never Wore Blue Eyeshadow, How to Trust the Bible When Truth and Tradition Collide. From that conversation, this is Amanda Hope Haley now. I was sitting in a graduate course at Harvard when uh, we were we were reading this thing called the Gospel of Mary. It is a non-canonical book of the Bible or book not in the Bible. Um, it is it is not divinely inspired. It's just a, a piece of literature from around the same time. And in this story, um, the the apostles are talking with Mary Magdalene, and they are not really believing her. And so my teaching fellow asked the small group, you know, why do you think the other apostles didn't respect Mary Magdalene? And I raised my hand as, you know, a person who'd been in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night for as long as she could remember. And I said, oh, was it because she was a prostitute? And um, some people laughed. And it was there that it was explained to me that, no, Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. That is a tradition that got attached to her over the years, but um, that that's not actually in the Bible. So um, this was a time when, I guess this isn't an archaeology thing specifically, but this is this is a tradition that was intention. And so when I first heard she, you know, she wasn't a prostitute, first off, I didn't believe that. And I called my mom and I told her what happened and my mother didn't believe it either. And she said, no, Amanda, 
they are wrong. I know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute because when I was a child, I was in an Easter production. I played Mary Magdalene and my mother covered my face in makeup and blue eyeshadow so that everyone know, would know that I was the prostitute. And so, I mean, we, we talked and I researched this and of course the Bible doesn't say anything about Mary Magdalene. It really doesn't say anything about her having any sort of sexual sin. She simply had demons cast out of her. Um, but it took, uh, it took coming into contact with, with something that wasn't in the Bible to make me realize that I had been misinterpreting things all along, that I had been reading into the Bible things that weren't actually there. Well, someone might ask the question, so what difference does it make whether or not Mary Magdalene was uh, was a prostitute? Oh, well, um, it, it can make a lot of difference. Sure. It depends on how you're looking at it. Uh, for one thing, when I read the Bible and I didn't realize yet that she was not a prostitute, anytime I saw her name, I pictured her a certain way and I had certain opinions about her. Um, and that, that wasn't who she was. You know, she, she, we know now I, I was actually in Magdala this summer and Magdala is, it's being excavated currently. It was an incredibly wealthy seaport town. Um, it was, I mean, it was just beautiful mosaics everywhere. Um, it was a very religious town, um, large synagogue, all of this. And that, that is what Mary Magdalene came out of. And the Bible you know, indicates that she herself was a wealthy woman as someone who supported Jesus. And then of course, as women go in the new Testament, she's, you know, one of the most important ones because she, in every account of Jesus' resurrection, she was there. She was at the stone. And so what the Bible does say about her is it, it absolutely is contradicted by this idea that she, she was a woman whose life was filled with sexual sin. Amanda Hope Haley here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting her website, amandahopehaley.com. Well, we are about to wrap up this edition of The Intersection podcast for this week. It is a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. Go to the programming section, and you'll find the link to The Meeting House homepage. Also, you can access the Media Center. It's marked Meeting House On Demand, and that's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast linked to the Meeting House homepage. It's available in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.